0: Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Healthier Together podcast. I'm your host, Liz Moody, and I am a cookbook author and longtime journalist, and I am so excited about this episode, which is all about scratching that wanderlust itch. I wanted to do a series called Wellness Around the World, where I have on guests who live in different parts of the world and ask them to share what the wellness routines and practices are like there and how they differ from the U.S. I invited on Renee from Renee Roaming, a massively successful travel blog and social media account, with the intention of getting her almost reverse take as a foreigner living in the U.S. And while I thought what she shared about that was absolutely fascinating, this conversation ended up being so much more than that. We talk about getting outside and having adventures, including the gear you need, how to get started, and how to find the best hikes and photo spots in each place. She helps assuage my fears of bears, ticks, and hiking alone. We talk about how she healed her gut and stays healthy while traveling the most beautiful places she's been and so much more. So maybe this is the first episode of the Wellness Around the World series, and maybe it's just like a fun summer adventure series. Let me know whether you want more Wellness Around the World content or summer adventure content. I kind of want to get some like van life people on here. I don't know. I would love to hear what you are into so I can give you more of that. You can find Renee on all social platforms at Renee Roaming, and I of course am at Liz Moody. We would love to hear from you as you're listening to this episode, or if it inspires you to get outside, send us your cute nature pics from your hikes. I would love, love, love to see. And if you have a friend who's feeling that wanderlust like I am, send them this episode, use it as an opening to go explore and have adventures together. And if somebody sends you this episode, don't forget to subscribe. We have a ton of fun episodes coming up including a new How I Learned to Love My Body featuring the amazing Katie Storino and Ask the Doctor Dental Health Edition and so much more. All right, let's get straight to it. Here's Renee. All right, Renee, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. I am such a fan of your work. It inspires me to get outside and to travel. And like I was telling you before we got on, it really inspires me to uh, demand better photos from my husband, who's <laughs> like, I'm not a professional. Why are you holding me to this standard? But it's beautiful. For people
1: who aren't familiar with your work, can you just tell me a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, so I'm based in Seattle. I'm Australian, if you can't tell by my accent. (laughs) I'm a full-time photographer and blogger, mostly in the travel space, but also a lot of outdoor content and hiking and backpacking. Yeah, I am also a published author like yourself. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm really excited to chat with you today. I'm so excited
0: and I have so many questions but I want to get into something that we were talking about before we actually got on when we before we started recording which is you said you have a hard time sort of relaxing and you always have this urge to be productive and that's me too full stop and I think that's a really interesting relationship that I have with hiking is that I feel like it's relaxing but I'm being productive because I'm you know traveling many miles I'm like getting a workout I'm I even will tell myself sometimes when I'm going through trees, like, oh, you're forest bathing right now. Like, this is good (laughs) for your health, blah, blah, blah. And I'm curious what your relationship is with nature in terms of, like, does that let you really relax or does that feel productive, especially because it's part of your job now?
1: Yeah, I would say it would depend when you asked me that question. So definitely, like, five years ago, I would have 100% been in the camp of I can fully switch off. It's, like, 100% my happy place. You know, it's where I can um, just focus on moving my feet and getting from A to B. But I'm going to be completely honest that these days, especially now with like Instagram stories and reels and TikToks and stuff like that, I do find it a lot more challenging to get back to that space where I'm 100% just focusing on being out in nature. And it's Mm -hmm. something these days I more actively have to... Bring myself back to and think about being present, which just honestly makes me a little sad. But at the same time, um, I just love that I can, like, hiking is one of my favorite things in the entire world. And I can literally, you know, make a living from doing that. So at the same time, I have to bring it back to gratitude as well that I can do something that I love for my job, even if that takes me out of the moment and being present sometimes, like, you know, pros and cons, right?
0: How does it work logistically? Like when you're on a hike, are you just always sort of looking for the most beautiful view, the most beautiful place, and then you set up your camera and then you shoot it?
1: Yeah. it's. um, I think any like photographer would probably understand that it's literally something 24-7, unless you're asleep, you can't switch it off. You are constantly looking for, you know, is the light really pretty? Oh, how would that look in a photo? Oh, that would be a nice video. Um, Literally, even just sitting in my living room, I constantly like, oh, the maple tree looks really nice right now. Maybe I should take a photo. And I just, I creatively just can't switch that off. It's like Mm. the only time that I can switch it off is if I leave every kind of device at home or in the car or whatever. And still in that it takes a little while before I you know stop thinking okay, right, I don't have that like stuff on me. Right. Um so yeah, it's definitely uh yeah, I, when I'm hiking I'm definitely looking around constantly. It's not even something I'm conscious about would that be a nice photo? Would that be a nice video? And my husband's doing the same as well. we work together. And so it's pretty hard when you've got the two of us there to not be constantly stopping for photos and doing things, but I still love it.
0: Do you have any hot tips for taking like a beautiful nature pic?
1: Yeah. So probably, and you know, not everyone likes to get out super early in the morning or stay out later, but i personally <laughs> i can't wake up in the morning every time my dad
0: comes to visit he's like a five he likes to do landscape photography like just as a hobbyist and he's always like let's wake up at 5 and catch the sunrise and i'm like no
1: yeah, <laughs> I yeah well can't do it, it is it is definitely the best time of day sunrise and sunset you just can't beat it for photography especially nature just looks you know, on it on a clear day or a partly cloudy day, um the mountains or the beach or whatever it is just looks stunning in that golden hour or blue hour time, but that's really hard in summer, like I think at the moment here in Washington, sunrise is like just after five a m so it's really early so sunset you can
0: just like skip yeah. sunrise and just do sunset. I have another yeah. kind of this is like a weird question, but you always look so cute in your nature photos, <laughs> and I feel like do you think about looking cute when you hike? And is there like tips you have for looking cute whilst hiking?
1: (laughs) I love that question. Um, Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I do like think about the outfit choice um, and things like that. I'm usually shooting for clients um, when I head out on different adventures and often The client may be a a part of what I'm wearing, like maybe my hiking boots or my jacket or something like that or my backpack. So I do have to be conscious about what I'm pairing together and things like that. And I'm not going to like sit here and pretend that I don't actively try and pick a cute hiking outfit because that would just be not true. (laughs) I I am conscious about what kind of outfit I pick. Um, And then in terms of like looking put together, I don't know, I... I think maybe I'm just the kind of person that doesn't get like too crazy, sweaty and gross on hikes. I usually hike like with my hair out or just in like a a braid or something. And I have a lot of people say, oh, my hair just gets like so ratty and stuff, but I don't know. Mine just doesn't. I I just keep it together somehow. And sometimes I'll just run my fingers through my hair or take a moment to like try and not look as like red from climbing up the mountain before we take photos, you know? Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. But yeah, it depends on the hike.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. My sister can hike with her hair down and I feel like I always do that sort of Ugly top knot because I just, it does. My hair gets like a big rat's nest. So that is a special skill you silky people, you silky haired people have. Okay, we're going to get back to the nature (laughs) stuff in a second, but a big part of this series is about living abroad and it's sort of like a summer travel series. And I'm curious because you're a person who lives abroad, but you live in the US, which is where many listeners of this podcast are. Although, shout out to all of my overseas listeners as well. When you moved here, Was there any culture shock? Like you and your husband, I don't know if you were married at the time, but you just got like a green card and were like, okay, we'll move to Colorado, right? And you hadn't ever been
1: there? Yeah, I know. It's (laughs) so bizarre. We had been to the U.S. Um, We'd actually seen a lot of the U.S. We'd done a a three-month road trip across, I don't know exactly how many states, but it must have been at least like seven or 10 states or something. So we had already seen quite a bit of the U.S. But we hadn't been to Colorado and we had um, met a lot of people saying, oh, you guys would really like Boulder, Colorado. Um, And because we we liked Bend in Oregon. We liked the vibes of somewhere like San Francisco, but we didn't want to live in a larger city. And we spoke to a lot of people and they were like, yeah, you guys would really like Boulder." So we did some research and it honestly just sounded like the coolest town. And we thought, all right, well, let's just give it a try. So we we each packed, I think we had like three suitcases each, which is obviously a lot, but it was like our whole lives. Um, And we flew over to Colorado one day. Um, Landed in LA and then caught a flight to Denver, came out, we picked up a rental car and then we drove to Boulder. We had done the like silliest thing ever. We had um, found an apartment, like a tiny one bedroom apartment on uh, Craigslist. Um, which I used to call Craigslist, but Craigslist. Um, <laughs> and we had like sent this lady money to like put the deposit oh, no. on, on the apartment. Don't worry, she didn't scam <laughs> us. But now we look back on it. We're like, that was the stupidest it's thing crazy. we ever did. It's crazy. Yeah. But anyway, we did that. And we luckily got a really great landlord and sh- we just turned up at the apartment. She had put the key under the doormat. We opened the door, we walked in and went, okay, well, this is cool. We Slept on the floor, like literally just on the carpet, um, because we had absolutely nothing. And we woke up the next morning and there was snow everywhere. And being from Australia, we were just like, okay, well, we knew it would snow in Colorado. Like we moved in winter, but we still, it was a shock. Like it was a, a, a shock living in a place with snow in the sense of we didn't know what to do. Like we're like, can you go outside? This is a stupid question. Is there no snow in Australia? There is um, in on a couple of mountains. Like, you can go skiing or snowboarding in Australia, but you have to, like, actively drive out to a okay. mountain. So there's no
0: city it would
1: snow in? No, like, very rarely. And if it did snow, it would be the kind of snow where... It would slightly be sleeting, and it would never collect on the ground. Right. Okay. Um. Yeah, I'd been to the snow. Like, I'd seen snow before, but I'd never driven in snow. I like thought to go outside when it was snowing. You had to be like the abominable snowman and have like crazy snow ski clothes on. Like, I didn't realize you could just wear like jeans and boots out in the snow. And so, my husband and I woke up that that morning to the snow and we were literally like are you allowed to drive (laughs) like can we go outside and we just yeah culture shock majorly in terms of the weather oh my gosh and definitely other things as well like we had to I think um the most challenging thing was navigating all the logistical stuff so we um had no credit score obviously. Oh either. that's interesting. Yeah. So at the time I think we were 25. Yeah, we must have been 25 at the time. This was um now six years ago. So we didn't have credit scores. We obviously had driver's licenses in Australia, but we didn't in the US. So we technically when we first arrived for a few weeks we were just driving on like, you know, an international license kind of thing. Okay. Luckily we like never got pulled over and didn't have to like kind of explain all that. Um, but we had to go for our driver's license tests, like on the other side of the road, you know? So we were used to Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we were used yeah. to driving not only on the other side of the road, but on the other side of the, the car. car. Yeah. Yeah. And like reverse parallel when you're on the other side of the car, on the other side of the road is like a whole other thing.
0: Oh, I grew up driving here and I still can't parallel park. So props, <laughs> props to you.
1: Um, yeah. So we didn't, yeah, we had to do that. We managed to find a bank that would like give us accounts. It was Chase actually, who we're still with, gave us. Um, like opened up accounts for us, which was like so great because some other banks didn't want to because we had no credit score. And then we couldn't get credit cards or anything. Um, so there was like no real way to build our credit, if mm. you know what I mean. That's so interesting. So that was like yeah, that was like a challenge. We had to get these like weird like kind of credit cards to do that. And we couldn't get like a car loan and that whole thing and then navigating healthcare. <laughs> it was like wow, we are just don't know what we're doing. Are you thinking you'll live in the US like long term now? Yeah, we just bought a house um in we bought a house in 2019 here in the suburbs of Seattle. So it's definitely like we're here at least for the foreseeable future. Like I couldn't imagine we're moving back to Australia in the next 3 to 5 years, but we've never like had a plan around that. And some people think that's so weird, but Literally from the day we left Australia, we said, well, if we don't like it, we'll just move back. Um, Six months, 12 months, five years, 10 years, 20 years, whatever. So I
0: love that philosophy. And I think it's really hard for a lot of people to embrace because they're like, well, what if this? What if I'm behind in my career? What if I have to make friends again? What if it hurts my finances? There's just so many sort of negative scenarios people can walk through. Is there any advice you would have to somebody who like is more afraid of these big life
1: take ch- changes these brave steps that you took gosh um i don't know i've never like really spent a lot of time thinking about what makes us like that and and why why we have the confidence to live like that i honestly think a lot of it comes down to that we both my husband and i have very supportive families and like we were very supported moving to the us and we knew that if we didn't like it we could 100% come back, and people weren't going to judge us or see us as see it as a failure. So I think that gave us a lot of confidence. But also, I think it's a similar kind of confidence to going out um, and starting your own business or like mm. becoming self employed. It's similar to that in that you do just kind of have to believe in yourself and know that you are 100% going to make mistakes. You're 100% going to F up and regret things. And you just like have to be content with that, that it's not going to be a perfect linear path. There's going to be lots of ups and downs. And we've certainly had um, a few moments that I'm like, okay, is this, has this been the right choice or we're kind of running out of money and, and stuff like that where, you know, I did question whether we'd made the right choice, but ultimately you just have to persevere and believe like the reason you moved here, you know, you moved for a reason and you just got to keep at it and, and work towards that. What was your
0: reason? Like what attracted you to the U.S. in the first place?
1: Yeah, so we um uh, we did that big road trip that I that I was talking about. And we visited that was like my first time visiting um a national park here in the US. It was my first time hiking any of the, the mountains and seeing the the beaches and the lakes and things like that. And it was nature that we fell in love with. Not that Australia doesn't have amazing Beautiful, natural places. Um, we just really love the mountains and Australia just doesn't, it, I mean, it's not comparable Australian mountains to mountains in the U.S., particularly on the West Coast. Mm. And that's where we did a lot of traveling was on the West Coast. And we also really fell in love with a lot of the the towns, like I mentioned, like Bend, Oregon and places like that we traveled to. And we're like, wow, we really like the vibes in, in places like this. And um, the people were like way friendlier and just so great than I had imagined it would be in the US. And the food was better, like everything was just better than what I had sort of thought it would be. So we had a really positive experience that first time we traveled to the US. And then we heard about that around the world, you can apply to um, go in this lottery. It's called the DV lottery to get um, a green card. I don't know how many listeners have heard of that, but it's a legitimate thing run by the government. And so we We went ahead and applied for that after we got back from that trip and we didn't get it that first time. But then the second year we applied, we actually won our green cards in a lottery.
0: What are the chances of that? Like, do you know, is it like, what are, do you know what the odds are that you'd win?
1: It depends on which country you're applying from because some countries, um, I know particular countries in like Asia and Africa, the, the rate of application is really, really, really high. So your chances are much lower. But I think winning from Australia, it's not actually that crazy to think about because I think they give like a 1,000 or 2,000 green cards every single year which is a lot. The population of Australians is only 25 million people. And most people, like I would say 99.9% of people have never heard of the green card lottery, nor like do most people have an interest in moving to the US. So you're already cutting out like all of those people. Um, So I don't know exactly how many people apply in Australia every year, but I know there's certain criteria. You have to have either a degree, like a bachelor's degree or I think it was three or four years of work experience in some sort of like trade or career that you can prove. You have to pass medical tests. Um, It's like they don't just let anyone in, but um, yeah, it's a process. But I like what you said that like a lot of people don't even know this exists. And I think a lot of people, when they want to like
0: take a big trip or move abroad, they just put it off limits to themselves and they're like, oh, there's no way this could work. I would never be able to get a visa. There's just this is an impossibility and I like that it highlights that it actually might be a possibility you just need to sort of explore different options that you might even be aware exist
1: yeah and I'm fully I do want to um, preface that too that I know that my husband and I are incredibly privileged that you know we even have that work experience and degrees and things that that allowed us to um, apply for that and also I know um, applying from a country like Australia gives us better odds as well and being white and English speaking and all these things definitely has helped us get to the US. Um, But going back to what you said, definitely, I think a lot of people either don't research the opportunities or they believe those opportunities are out of reach to them. And why not apply? Like, you know, you might win it. For sure. I'd love to talk about some
0: of the harder parts of living abroad. Like you mentioned that one of the reasons you guys can be so Brave in your life choices is that you have this supportive family, but now you're very, very far from said family. I'm curious how you deal with the loneliness, the missing your family, the feeling like a cultural outsider. I lived in England for a few years, and I it's crazy how often it comes up in conversation where people are like, "Oh, let's see what the American thinks about this." Like <laughs> they don't know about this, or like it's like you're like a fun little uh, like doll for people to play with in some ways, even in countries that are so culturally similar.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um I find that kind of thing fun, but I also think I don't probably get it as much as most people in the sense of ever since moving to the US the job that I had uh, for the first 18 months was like not an office job. I was going out into the community and I was I didn't have like coworkers like sitting right next to me, so I didn't have that sort of environment where I might get asked a lot of questions like that. Um, and also a lot of our friends are like very, very well-traveled and um, we're not really that interesting to them, you know, um, in in that sense. So maybe I haven't had to deal with like, oh, she's the Aussie quite as much as as what some people might have. But you, you asked about um, things that are like more challenging with family and stuff. Yeah, that... Um, especially in the last year has been quite challenging because when we first moved um uh, our family was were really excited for us, and they both both our like sets of parents and also my sister visited us in the first like year of living in the u s so that was so fun. We had some friends visit as well and and honestly like you know, it didn't even feel like we'd been away for that long. And then, um, that we sort of transitioned into working for ourselves, my husband and I, and we, we then hit the road and did this massive road trip where we traveled to every national park in a van. And we were just so busy that I literally didn't have time to think about missing my family, you know, but, um, as things have, you know, slowed down, our um, in the sense of, you know we're not as go 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 now i do find there are more more moments that i'm like dang i wish i could just like go over to dinner at my parents house mm. you know um and especially in the pandemic like i think it hasn't actually changed anything in that you know I, it's not like I was flying home to Australia every week before this. I was only visiting Australia once every, like maximum once every 12 to 18 months, more like once every two years. And, but as soon as the pandemic hit, it was like, okay, now I can't travel back even if I wanted to. Yeah. Like, you know, touch wood, if something happened to one yeah. of my parents or my grandparents or like something like that, like I can't even go back and see them you know so it has made me feel much more isolated and like gosh thank god for video chat and the internet because I don't know how people used to do long distance living when they just had to write like letters and stuff (laughs) (laughs) I mean the day you get that letter
0: would be like a very exciting day
1: yeah But you would lose, like I have, we have nephews in Australia. My sister has two boys and the video chat and photos and stuff like that. And and them sending videos is the way I've been able to watch them grow up. So I, I can't imagine like what it would be like not being able to have those videos, but that, yeah, that in itself has been very challenging not being there for like every birthday party every wedding funerals like we've missed some pretty significant events that we 100% would have been there for if we were living in australia so
0: how do you deal with that emotionally like does it ever make you feel guilty that you made this decision or question this choice
1: oh for sure yeah i've definitely felt some guilt around missing certain things um But I think ultimately, like, I know this is the right choice for us. And I know that our family knows that as well. So even if, like, my family is so supportive, but particularly, like, for my mom, I know it's hard for her, definitely, that we live here. And sometimes she'll say things and I'll be like, damn, like, I feel bad that I'm, you know, not around for that. But I, I, yeah, ultimately, like, I know that just comes from a place of them missing us and not them judging us or them, like, trying to make us feel guilty, if you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, I totally know what you mean. Are there any healthy living things that you learned in Australia that are, like, part of your life, and are there any that you've learned in the U.S. that you've made part of your life?
1: Healthy living things. Um, I don't know if they're necessarily, like, Australian-based, if you know what I mean, or if it's more just me as a person, but um, I think – Growing up in Australia and living in Australia, I it's like a very very normal thing to travel and to take like holidays or vacations in Australia because people get much more paid leave um, and work life balance in Australia is just it exists compared to here in the U.S. where it doesn't really exist. Yeah. Um, so I think growing up in Australia, I definitely was privileged enough to get that. Um, travel bug and that interest in in traveling and getting outdoors and and doing things and I've definitely obviously brought that with me over to the U.S. and yeah we've lived here um just over six years now and I think we've been to about 40 states every national park like hiked literally probably thousands of trails and I feel like I've probably seen more of the country than a lot of Americans, which I feel so thankful for. But I think a lot of that probably stems from um, that mindset I came over mm. with of wanting to explore and wanting to really get to know this place that we were moving to. Other healthier things, gosh. I, I think in general, Australians are like pretty healthy when it comes to um like eating and like. Knowing where your food comes from and that, but but it also depends like where you grew up. I grew up, um, in the suburbs of Melbourne in Victoria, which is much, it's definitely a more metropolitan area, you know access to cool like brunch cafes and and like I grew up really close to lots of amazing um, farmer's markets mm. and access to fresh seafood and and things like that. So I probably had maybe a different experience to someone who grew up in the countryside of Australia who has less access to things like that. But I definitely was a little surprised moving to the U.S. that unless you're in like one of these larger cities – access to some of those things like farmer's markets and, and super fresh produce. I feel like it's a little bit harder here to mm. to have access to those sorts of things.
0: Yeah. Well, Australia, you guys are like the inventors of avocado toast, aren't you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. The, <laughs> the best brunch in the world is in Australia. And there is no arguments about that. Like, no <laughs> one can convince me otherwise.
0: What about on your
1: international travels? You've been to, do you know how many countries you've been to? I think, um, gosh, I'm trying to remember. I think about 37, 38 or something. Yeah. Have you like taken anything? I I
0: often ask people on the podcast, like, is there anywhere in the world that you feel like these people really got it right in terms of like living a healthier, happy life? And if so, where was it? And I feel like you have such insider knowledge on all of these places. So either that or like little tips or tricks that you've learned from the different places you've been.
1: Yeah, I think um, definitely a lot of Scandinavian and European countries are doing it right when it comes to work-life balance and, um, you know, just like their social structures, like things like maternity leave and paternity leave and just the way their societies are set up to really like honor people's um, time and mental health. and travel and, and eating healthy and all those sorts of things. I, I, I think in a lot of countries in like particularly Scandinavia and, and, and nearby in Europe, it seems through my travels that it might just be a little bit easier to live a healthier lifestyle in those countries, given all the supports that are already set up for you and like free healthcare. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not going to put off these health complications or these certain things in your life because you can't afford it. And that has been a big barrier for me. And I know millions and millions of people in the US that, you know, yeah, we just like have something minor and it's a big deal going to the doctors because it's freaking expensive. (laughs) Um, And I, yeah, I think some other countries may be doing it. Right.
0: <laughs> Is there anything you keep sort of bringing up the like work life balance that other countries have that maybe we lack here a little bit more? Do you think when we don't have the systems to support the situation, like I don't know if hopefully the overall system will change more in the direction of like flexibility, work life balance, whatever. But until we have that, do you think you can change your mindset in a way that makes that accessible to you that like you can take those learnings and sort of apply it to your life here by just taking all your vacation days and blah, blah, blah?
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think there's obviously a lot of people here in the US that have worked out how to have a brilliant work-life balance. But overall, I feel like having also worked, I've I've obviously been working for myself majority of the time here in the US, but I I had a period of time where I had an employer. And also chatting to friends and, and just hearing about people's experiences, I think overall, uh, there are more barriers to to being able to request that leave or to even just have access to, like what is it, most people only get two weeks of leave here in the US? And they don't take them. That's, that's yeah. like, a, they, they get crazy. two
0: weeks and the vast majority of people don't take the full two weeks either.
1: And from what I've heard, it seems that a lot of reasoning around not taking those two weeks is feeling pressure that you might not get a promotion you know, you won't be advanced in your career because you look like you're lazy or you don't care about work, which is crazy to me because I know firsthand, and I'm sure everyone listening can relate to this. When you take a vacation or a long weekend or whatever it is, you 100% work better when you get back because you're refreshed. Your mental health is stronger. You, your body, like you're not as tired. There are so many reasons why taking breaks, whether it's a staycation or not a staycation, is just so important.
0: I completely, completely agree. At my last job that I was working for an employer, we had to finish all of our work for our vacation before we went on vacation. So you'd spend like two weeks doing an extra two weeks of work on top of your normal work. And by the time you took a vacation, you just felt like you were dead. Like it just wasn't Uh. fun anymore because you're just like, well, I burnt myself out
1: completely. But the vacation was needed at that point. But it shouldn't be like that. It should be that someone replaces you while you're gone or their system set up. Or just like
0: a little bit less work gets done. I do think we, it's so funny societally, we um, have done this trick of convincing ourselves that our work matters so much. And I think in some, you know, if you're a fireman or like a doctor and you're literally saving lives, like, yes, it does. But in every job I've had, the difference between me doing some work now versus a week from now or two weeks from now literally is nothing, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? But I can convince myself that, Even working for myself, like it literally doesn't matter, but I can convince myself that I should stay up till like 11 at night finishing a blog post when it, like who says it needs to go up then? It's an arbitrary thing that was decided, you know? For sure. Absolutely. We love talking about our gut health here on the Healthier Together podcast, which is why I'm so excited to share the life-changing Seed Daily Symbiotic. I actually discovered Seed back when I was working as an editor full-time, a bottle came across my desk, and I was instantly taken by how cute the green glass packaging is. Then I found out that that packaging was actually refillable so that Seed could share its products as sustainably as possible. And then I actually looked into the research behind Seed, and well, I was blown away. First of all, Seed is not just a probiotic, it is a symbiotic. That means it contains both pre- and probiotics, which is super important. In fact, if you remember my Ask the Doctor Gut Health edition, we talked about how prebiotics are one of the most important and often underlooked components of great gut health. Let me break it down for you. Probiotics are the live bacteria that are so beneficial to our gut health, but prebiotics are the food that those probiotics need to thrive. If you don't have ample prebiotics, the probiotics you're consuming will be undernourished and not be able to help your health in the way that you want. Speaking of your health, there's also a common misconception that probiotics or symbiotics are for people with gut issues, which is so not true. Like, yes, the seed symbiotic is amazing for your gut health, but your gut health impacts everything in your entire body. Your skin, your mental health, your cardiovascular health, your ability to actually assimilate the maximum amount of nutrients from all that healthy food you're eating. Having a happy gut is critical for all of it. It is hard to narrow down everything else that I love about seed. I am extremely particular with my supplements and I don't take many, but seed is just stellar across the board. It's been tested and tested and tested. Seriously, their testing process is bananas to make sure that it has 100% survival through the digestive process, which is so rare. And somehow they do all of that without needing refrigeration, which is very handy. I find that when I have refrigerated probiotics, I just forget about them, and they get buried behind like old jars of pasta sauce, whereas I keep these on my bedside table, so I'm reminded to take them every single night. They also contain the 24 strains that are the most scientifically studied to support your whole body's health. I am obviously passionate about this stuff. Taking care of my gut has been a key part of my own anxiety journey, and seed has been a vital part of that, so feel free to reach out with any questions. And if you like learning about gut health and how probiotics and prebiotics actually function, I highly recommend heading over to Seed.com. They have a whole educational section that breaks down the science behind your microbiome in some of the easiest to understand ways that I have ever seen. And if you would like to try Seed for yourself and pretty much change your life forever, you can go to Seed.com and use the code LizMoody for 15% off your first month's supply of Seed's Daily Symbiotic. Again, that's code LizMoody on Seed.com. Now, let's get back to the episode. Okay, let's get back into some nature stuff because I think a lot of people want to get outside, especially now that it's summer, but it's um it's intimidating and myself included. I went camping for the first time recently and I shared that on my uh, Instagram and everybody was like, they had so many questions about it and they were like, where do you poop? and <laughs> And all of these things. So I would love to sort of get some, first of all, if somebody wants to get out in nature and they're really intimidated, do you have like a first starter thing you would recommend to people? Like how do you dip your toes in?
1: Yeah. So a really great way to dip your toes in, um, firstly, and and this is not going to be applicable to everyone, but firstly, do you have anyone in your life already that does that? A friend, family member, cousin, whatever. Because if you do, that's a great place to start, just um, having a phone call or meeting up with them and just chatting about stuff and then taking your first adventure with them. If you don't have that person in your life, which is a lot of people don't have that, I would highly recommend joining some Facebook groups around hiking. Um, it depends where you live. There's some broader ones, just like outdoorsy girls and stuff like that, which is like everywhere. But then, for example, here in Washington, where I live, there's a couple of really great like Pacific Northwest women's hiking Facebook groups and Mm. um, just – and for men as well. There's there's all different groups. They're just phenomenal. The people you meet on those groups, um, literally every day there'll be someone posting, Hey, um, I'm a beginner hiker and I'm looking to find a group of ladies to do a hike, you know, once every weekend. Like, who wants to join oh, me? And there'll literally that. be hundreds of comments. Oh, that's of people amazing. saying, Yeah, like come with us or I wanna join you. That's a great way to just make friends too. Yeah. Exactly, people literally post on these groups like, "Hey, I'm looking for some girlfriends. I've just moved to seattle and and I don't know anyone. Oh,
0: I love that yeah,
1: it's really cool and i I did that when we moved to Colorado i um uh, back then the app meetup was a little bit more popular, I think, so like I went to a few meetup events and joined a few Facebook groups and met some people that way, and also through so uh Instagram and other social medias i um, linked up with some people but definitely that's a great way to feel more confident is to have people around you that um, either know what they're doing or they're interested in learning alongside you I just think is so cool but then in terms of like going out there and not killing yourself um, <laughs> you should definitely uh, learn a few things before you go out and I I personally, I might be biased because I have a travel blog that is largely about hiking and camping and backpacking, but um, blog resources is like just so helpful. And it's, I've learned so much personally from people's online, like free online guides about, you know, exactly like you said, how to poop outdoors. Do you have a blog post on how to poop outdoors? Yeah, I have. It's actually one of my most popular blog posts. So, people could just
0: search like Renee Romine poop and that would. I don't want to like might. send people down a bad internet. <laughs> I don't, don't Google that. But um, you, but if you Google, have one about
1: that. Yeah, I have a blog post about um, it's called like eco friendly outdoor hygiene tips for okay. hygiene <laughs> That's a very nice way to put it. <laughs> yeah. And it's about how to pee outdoors, how to poop outdoors, how to like keep yourself clean how to also do all those things while um leaving no trace so protecting nature and 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 not leaving toilet paper everywhere and all that kind of stuff. So I would highly recommend looking online at resources like that. So you're 100% going to make some mistakes when you start outdoor stuff. Like 100% you're going to make some mistakes, but if you can limit some of those, you know, pretty major mistakes around safety and and you know, being a responsible outdoor adventurer, then that's going to be good for everyone.
0: So, well, I'll go check out all the resources, but can you tease us maybe with like a few genius tips that for hiking or for camping to make it easier or more fun or more comfortable?
1: Yeah, let me think. I would definitely say this might seem kind of obvious to some people, but the importance of having a backpack and shoes that are comfortable and fit you well is just like you just can't beat it because you're not going to have fun when you're hiking if you have shoes or a backpack that don't feel comfortable Mm. and when I say a comfortable backpack what I mean by that and this is speaking personally to mistakes that I made when I was first starting out was a backpack that has hip straps and Mm. a sternum strap because it doesn't matter how much weight you're carrying, if you're carrying it for a long time and you don't have hip and sternum support or like a chest strap, I should say, you're going to get sore shoulders and it's not going to be fun. And you might even get blisters on your shoulders and stuff like that. So I definitely look to invest or borrow or get from a thrift store or whatever, a backpack that has those two kinds of straps. And then with shoes, uh, They don't have to be like big hiking boots, particularly if you're hiking somewhere that's hotter or drier, but just some kind of shoe that your toes aren't hitting the end Um, because when you go downhill, you'll you'll know about it if your toes are hitting the end Um, and always, 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 always packing like band-aids and toilet paper. (laughs) <laughs> I have a rule that if you don't
0: bring toilet paper, you will get like terrible diarrhea on the trail. Like it's it, it doesn't matter what you've eaten or what the day is like. That's just what will happen, and it has happened to me. And R.I.P. my friend's socks that I was hiking with. You know, oh okay. <laughs> no, that's it horrible. Great. Yeah, and ever since then, I'm like, I have I have my toilet paper supply, and it's very important to me. What about stuff that we're afraid of in nature? So I'm going to list some of my personal fears: bears, big mm-hmm. one mountain lions and then ticks is a big one for me that I'm afraid of because mm. I'm terrified of Lyme disease so how do you are there precautions you take is there something that you tell yourself to not be scared
1: yeah so firstly just starting with the tick thing um like wearing like not having skin exposed is going to help so like leggings that you've got uh, socks tucked over and then like a long a long sleeve top um and things like that is going to really help with ticks but then when you get to your campsite like are you like picking ticks off your clothes you can be, yeah, but it's better than they're on your um, – they're on your skin. And you can yeah. also – one thing you can do for ticks is um, treat your clothing in – I don't know how to say it. It's like – permethrin. Yes, that one. If you just – if you Google <laughs> I say like, that right <laughs> treatment for clothes, for hiking clothes, mosquitoes, ticks, it will come up. Okay.
0: And it looks like permethrin.
1: Yes, <laughs> um but that you can you can treat your clothes in that and and that supposedly really helps another thing you can do if you're um I guess you could take one with you as well backpacking, but certainly after hiking back at your car, you can um, use a linked roller and put that across all your clothes oh that's that's smart yeah, and that will catch any ticks that are just sitting on your clothes before they burrow into your clothes. That's super smart. Yeah. So that's a tip for ticks.
0: How often do you find ticks on you after hiking?
1: Um, I've only found maybe like three or four ticks in all my hiking. I've never had one on my skin either. My husband has had one. I think he's actually had two that have attached to him, but we've found them relatively quickly. Okay. That's like not a bad ratio
0: given how much you hike too. Yeah.
1: I've done like so many trails and I've only had like three or four. Okay. Supposedly, though, I don't want to like scare anyone, but supposedly they are getting worse ticks, something yeah. to do with like the weather warming and um, climate change and stuff. There's I
0: know. Just, like, I just want ticked. us to like find a really solid cure for Lyme disease and then mm-hmm. I'll be like a happy camper, literally. I know.
1: <laughs> yeah, ticks definitely worry me as well, but it's the kind of thing you can take precautions and then you just need to be like, all right. Well, oh, I'm doing it now,
0: okay. What about bears and mountain lions?
1: Okay, so I'm kind of more specifically talking about black bears um i'll I'll touch on grizzlies in a second, but black bears like don't really scare me because they're just like big, fluffy things that will run away if they see you. if you take proper bear c- precautions, like you're like you're not gonna get eaten by a black bear or have problems with black bears. I can't cover like every single tip right now, but if you like I have a blog post on it. Lots of people have blog posts, YouTube videos. Just type in bear safety per- precautions, hiking and camping. And you'll find so many great resources like storing your food properly, making noise on a trail if it's like a very berry area, carrying bear spray and actually knowing how to use bear spray. I know we carry bear spray, but I'm like... Bro, if I get to the
0: point where I have to spray bear spray, that's going to mentally mess. Like, yes, I won't be eaten, but, like, that's going to be a really rough day for me, you know? Yes, obviously. I, I
1: think that would scar most people. <laughs> um, but knowing, like, actually being able to access your bear spray is so important because a lot of people carry bear spray and it's, like, in their backpack. Right. One, don't put it in your backpack because you could accidentally um, – something could like set it off in your backpack like, and that's not cool. Have it on the outside of your pack, preferably like on your hip belt or something. You need to be able to grab it straight away. So like a little holster on your hip or something. And in saying that, like I'll be honest, I don't usually carry bear spray in Washington because the chances of seeing a bear here are just – depending on where you are – It's very low, but there are certain areas like Montana, Wyoming, Canada for sure, Alaska 100%. You do not want to even like step out your door in Alaska (laughs) without bear spray Um, (laughs) and you want to be prepared. Have you ever used bear spray? No, no. I've never even gotten close to needing to use bear spray. Have you run into bears on the trail? Yeah, yeah, I have. Um, in Alaska, I have like, grizzly bears, which is terrifying. What did you do? I was with um, a guide actually, and she just yelled bear. Um, and that's actually another tip is that when you're hiking along, don't a lot of people to make noise. They yell, "Hey bear, hey bear, hey bear!" But what that does is is desensitizes everyone to the word bear, and then when you see a bear like if you just think someone's saying, hey bear, you uh, know? So you're actually better off walking along being, if it's like grizzly territory, you're better off walking along being like, Ayo, or like making kind of just like random noises. And then if someone sees a bear, they can yell bear and everyone like actually knows there's a bear. So this is what our guide did. Wait, so what did you do? Yeah. So this guide yelled bear and I just, you know, kind of pooped my pants. Um, (laughs) but not really. Um, and we, so she just yelled bear. She turned around and started walking towards us and she said, we just need to get back. So we, we all got out instantly. I had my bear spray out and I, I didn't take the cap off yet, like the safety thing, but I had it in my hand, like on the cap, ready to take it off. And we, just stayed and watched where the bear was going. We um, made sure he wasn't coming any closer. And then he sort of just went off and did his thing. And we had to sleep that night um, in tents right near where the bear was. Uh. And I was by myself um, in the tent too because my husband um, wasn't with us at that point. And it was terrifying. I was like messaging my husband on like – our emergency device where you can like text your family or whatever. And I was like, I'm going to die. There was a grizzly bear. <laughs> and he was like, you're okay. You're oh okay. Oh my God. Um, but yeah, no, it was fine. Like it was honestly pretty scary, especially when my guide said, wow, that's the biggest inland like oh my god, coastal bear. That's the biggest <laughs> inland bear I've ever seen. That's the size of the ones you see on the coast, the brown bears. And I was just like, why didn't you tell me that? I do not want to know that. <laughs> but in general is the idea that they don't
0: really want anything to do with you. And so if you're loud, they will be like, oh, I don't want to go in that direction because it's like loud over there.
1: Exactly. And and the whole point of making noise on the trail is you just want them to know you're coming. You just want them to know that you're there, especially if you're near like a creek or, or a river or something that's kind of loud. You need to yell extra loud around corners and things like that. You just don't want to walk around a corner and there be like a mama bear there with three cubs mm. because she doesn't, she doesn't want to eat you. She doesn't want to see you. Like literally she wants nothing to do with you, but she wants to make sure her cubs are okay. So you just right. don't want to like Put yourself in that situation you want her to hear you coming and take your cups off the side and you just never even know she was there you know
0: what about as a woman by yourself I know that you've traveled and you've talked I assume you have a blog post about this but I've seen you talk about it before do you have does that scare you or are there any precautions that you take to avoid unsavory characters on the trail
1: yeah, I I do have a whole blog post about um, solo backpacking as a woman and all those tips apply to solo hiking as well. Um, my top things that I'm worried about when solo, uh, being solo in general, whether it be in the wilderness or in a city or wherever, is men. It's not Oh, for
0: sure. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Um, (laughs) for some reason too, like if, if, if I'm camp,
0: if I'm hiking on the trail and like Zach leaves me for like 10 minutes, I'm like, Oh, a man's just going to appear (laughs) out of nowhere and like attack me. And it's like, why would a man be like five miles out
1: in the mountain? But I'm just like, Nope, I'm sure he's, he's there waiting for me. No, exactly. Like it's these irrational thoughts that we have, but the, the like, I have a lot of friends that have done, um, solo backpacking and hiking and and I don't know anyone who's had a bad experience. Some top tips are um don't camp like right next to a road like if you can avoid it. So you're actually more safe the further you get into the backcountry.
0: Mm, that makes sense.
1: Yeah. So that's going to, you're more likely to avoid opportunistic situations. If you're like, if you're parking it near a highway or something like that, that's less ideal. I'm not saying not to do it, but that's, if you're worried, that's something to consider. And then as you're hiking along, um, don't tell people where you're going. Like, Because people are friendly. They'll ask you like, hey, how's it going today? Where are you camping? And Mm. and if it's a man and you're hiking solo, no matter how like nice they seem, just be sort of nondescript. Oh, I haven't decided yet. Or I don't know which lake I'll camp at. Or I don't know, I might head back to my car. I'm not sure if I'm going to camp or something Mm. like that. Mm -hmm. And say something like, oh, I don't know. I'm going to wait for my husband to get here and then we're going to decide he's hiking in later or just pretend you're meeting friends at the lake or whatever it is. You just want to be a little nondescript about um, where you're going, how long you're going to be there for and who you're going to be with. Like, Just Mm. don't really point out the fact that you'll be solo just in case, which is very unlikely, that person is actually a crazy person. Okay, let's go positive.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What's the most beautiful natural place that you've ever been?
1: Oh wow. Um it would probably be it's hard, honestly, but probably the dolomites of Italy. Oh, that's
0: so high on my list.
1: Yeah. The mountain ranges there are just insane. Like literally all the photos you see, it's better than that. Because you just can't even fully capture it in a photo or a video, or whatever it is. Um, but being there with those ginormous peaks and there's pizza and there's wine. <laughs> and you can, like, hike. I have a friend who hiked between
0: different, like, huts that you stay in at night and they yeah. give you, like, dinner and wine and then you hike all day the next day. hmm That yeah. sounded so dreamy.
1: Yeah. And you can do that in other places as well, like Switzerland and Austria and, and France have hut hikes like that as well. And you do have to, I think, reserve them, like, pretty ahead of time. But we – last time I – um in 2019, I was in the Dolomites in fall and we had uh, dinner at one of those mountain huts before we hiked down the mountain. And it was like the best dinner of the trip. We had um, like spaghetti and wine and the, like some sort of cake thing for dessert. And there was this big Bernese mountain dog that was sitting underneath the table the whole time. And we just could like paddle oh. the whole time. It was like, Yeah, and the the owners of the hut were just lovely. Very, very good experience if you can ever do it.
0: What about most beautiful place in the US, like nature-wise?
1: Yeah, um, I'm like pretty partial to Washington, hence why I live here.
0: I know, I feel like the Washington Tourism Board needs to like sponsor, (laughs) or maybe they do, but like you, (laughs) you talk about how beautiful it is in a way that is just, it's very compelling.
1: Yeah, I love the... Scenery here in Washington, that hence why we moved from Colorado to Washington. We loved living in Colorado, but we were just uh, really, really in love with the rugged, jagged mountains here in Washington. They're just much more dramatic than um, in some other places of the US. Uh, So, like the North Cascades and Mount Rainier and places like that are insane. But I mean, I have to also give a shout out to Alaska because the 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 glaciers and the mountains and everything there are just next level ridiculous you have to be like are we really in the U S like this is crazy
0: I mean barely you're like way it I, Alaska is so fascinating to me because it's I feel like it's more I love places that you can go in the U.S. that still feel really culturally different. Like I love Charleston, South Carolina, um, or Alaska feels like that to me, where it just feels like there's a specific type of person who loves Alaska and thrives in living there and a specific type of nature. And you can almost get that feeling like when you're in Europe and you go from one country to another, you can. it feels like you can get that within the U.S., which I think is really cool. I think... People who choose to live in Alaska fascinate me. I just think they're the yeah. coolest people. It just feels so rugged, so like pioneering individual. I don't know. I just think they're – I could talk to somebody who lived in Alaska for hours and hours and es- hours. Especially
1: the ones that live in those places where they have to take the – Like the a bush plane. Planes. Yeah, the little planes out. like That fascinates me because they get their gro- – like they fly in their groceries from Anchorage and live through the winter out there like I, I not for me but I fully am interested in like seeing and hearing about their experience
0: yeah me too for sure do you have any tips for traveling with a partner
1: yeah I do um so most of the traveling I've done has been with my husband or for many years it was him as my boyfriend um and I would say uh to give each other space uh, <laughs> because especially like if you're in a car or like on a road trip all the time or if you're living in a, or like traveling in a camper van or staying in little airbnbs constantly day in day out for weeks or months or years on end you know everyone needs their space and I think um especially when it's your partner, you're like, oh, but we should always just love each other 24 <laughs> seven. Like if it's not like that, then there's something wrong with us. But that is just not true. You definitely need to prioritize things like alone time and like, hey, I'm just going to like put my noise canceling headphones mm-hmm. on and like chill over here for a bit. And like you go over there and chill for a bit and, or like go for a walk separately or whatever it is, because I, I personally really thrive on having some alone, quiet time. And I think all that ever does is make your relationship stronger, um, particularly when you're traveling, like is doing a little bit by yourself. And then I guess some other tips would be um, compromise because you're a hundred percent not going to want to do all the same things all the time, right? Yeah. So yeah, you might not want to go to that castle that that she wants to go to, but just go to the, just go to the (laughs) castle, um, and just see it because then she'll go along to that, whatever thing you want to do. And I think it's so important, um, when you're traveling with someone to take everyone's considerations in and meet, meet somewhere in the middle and compromise so that everyone has fun and is, you know, spending their money the way they want to spend it and getting the most out of the trip.
0: Do you feel like your relationship is stronger for having traveled together so much? Like, do you feel like you've learned things about your husband you might not have learned otherwise?
1: Oh, a hundred percent. And the first long trip we did together was when we were 19. And so for reference, I'm 31 now. And I we saw each other have explosive diarrhea that trip <laughs> and <laughs> vomiting. And, you know, you also learn how in those moments that are very very hard and you like feel like you're going to die or whatever to see how someone your partner treats people is so important mm. and like from a young age i could see that my husband he was polite to strangers and courteous and like those core values that you want to find out about a person really come out in travel you mm. know um mm-hmm. and it's a real good way to know someone quickly and to know you know is this my person sort of thing so I recommend if you can like financially if you can even if it's just like a local road trip like car camping or whatever if you can travel with your partner before committing to something like marriage I think it's a very good idea
0: or like really early on like I had friends that took a camping trip and they'd been together for like three weeks and then they ended up seeing sides of each other they didn't like as much and they broke up but like mm. that's time saved in essence exactly. you know i th- i think that uh the doctor i interviewed on my happiness podcast basically said like dating isn't it should just be about narrowing things down to find like your best match and so the more information you have the quicker that's better for you even if it's bad information or negative information you know
1: for sure absolutely and also depending on your age or or how like quickly you want to find that person like if you can narrow that in quickly um and work out it you know at a core level if this person is is someone you want to be with for a long time like that's definitely a good thing
0: I remember one of mine and Zach's first trips, we were, we still don't really poop in front of each other. Like we're closed door poopers. Um, but we were staying in these places with like, just, they were cheap and they had really thin walls. And so we would have like headphone time where I'd be like, okay, go <laughs> listen to your music really loud on your headphones. And then I would like, there's one place that had a curtain for the bathroom. Cool. So you just like pull the curtain. Or there's one place we stayed at in Sweden and the bathroom door was glass. So, and it was transparent and there was no way to like flip a switch and make it opaque. And, And, And so you just sit there and I just be like, okay, headphone time, like go listen to your music. I'm going to go take a big poop. And it does, uh, it makes that stuff more comfortable because like pooping is a fact of life, you know? And, And if you can get comfortable with that stuff, I think it's really good. When I worked as a magazine editor, I wrote more than a thousand articles about turmeric because pretty much all of the doctors that I used as sources kept recommending it or citing it as one of the supplements that they would personally take. Here's the background. Turmeric is one of the most powerful ways to fight inflammation. In a nutshell, there are two types of inflammation, acute and chronic. Acute inflammation can actually be a good thing. It's one of the ways that your body heals and repairs itself. But when that system goes haywire, we get chronic inflammation, which essentially makes your body feel like it's constantly under attack. The vast majority of doctors I work with cite chronic inflammation as one of the root causes of so many of our modern ailments. And research links inflammation with heart disease, diabetes, autoimmune conditions, cancer, arthritis, and gut issues like Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. I am never going to sit around and tell you that a supplement will cure everything that ails you, but if you're looking for a turmeric supplement to help get your inflammation under control, I am extremely impressed with Paleo Valleys. To increase the bioavailability of turmeric, you need to consume it with black pepper, which most people know, and fat, which many people forget about. Paleo Valley's turmeric complex has black pepper and coconut oil to maximize absorption and three other powerful anti-inflammatories, ginger, rosemary, and clove for a maximum synergistic response. It also has no fillers, binders, or preservatives and is made with all organic ingredients and just a veggie capsule. Finally, it's third-party tested, which is something I always look for in supplements as extra assurance of their quality. I've had my uncle taking this for about three months, and he's gone from having debilitating back pain due to an autoimmune condition to being almost completely pain-free. Paleovality has a number of other incredibly high-quality food-derived supplements, including a vitamin C that I adore, vitamin C is my ultimate favorite supplement for skin health, and a neuroeffect mushroom powder that Zach loves for increasing energy and focus. So definitely explore their website. If you'd like to check out the Turmeric Complex, the Vitamin C, the Neuro Effect, or any of Paleo Valley's other amazing products, head over to paleovalley.com and use the code LIZM for 15% off. That's paleovalley.com and code LIZM for 15% off your order. And if you have any questions, feel free to hit me up on Instagram. I love chatting about this stuff. Now, let's get back to the episode. How do you find like really beautiful places? And I'd say both in macro and in micro. So like, how do you know this is a country or area you want to go to? But then when you're there, how do you know the gorgeous photo spots and the really good hikes?
1: Yeah. So my top tips for like how I plan trips or how I find certain things. I firstly, often like the very, very initial thing that might inspire me to travel somewhere or like put it on my bucket list would probably be Instagram hmm. just because it's like so easy these days to see really beautiful places on Instagram and we're pretty bombarded with um beautiful stuff. <laughs> but it's also a lot of it
0: is kind of like lies too, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's like really edited photos and it's hard to, mm-hmm. to tell.
1: Yeah. So usually I will – I'll come across something on Instagram or maybe it's like TikTok or whatever. Um, And that will sort of open my eyes to this destination. And then I like 100% do more research. So I turn to things like Pinterest is such a great resource for traveling and also for finding um, hikes and camping and road trips. Stuff, um, so Pinterest um, will lead you to so many great blog posts. You can just Google for blog posts as well, obviously. But I personally find um, things like longer YouTube videos or blog posts where people go into more depth about their trip. Like this is where I stayed. This is what I did. Oh, this is this is what I wouldn't recommend. I find that stuff really useful, and from that, I'll I'll usually make some sort of. Google Sheet or Google Doc or something like that or just whatever, a note on my phone where I'll just start listing some things I want to do, some hikes I want to do. And usually before a trip, we'll book some stuff. So obviously flights, um, usually like an initial accommodation or a camper or something like that. But I personally, and not everyone likes to travel like this, I personally like to kind of get to a destination and then sort of like see how the weather's going, what's looking good, how I'm feeling, if I liked somewhere, and then sort of just tailor my itinerary as I go. But I know that kind of travel isn't for everyone. So you can have like as much of an itinerary beforehand. And my last tip on that would be like 100% speak to the locals because they know what's best. They'll tell you all the best spots, speak to like the rangers in national parks, go to the visitor center, ask questions, wherever you're going, like chat to someone because they will tell you all the insider tips.
0: And will you ask them like, I'm looking for a beautiful photo for my blog post, where's gorgeous or?
1: No, <laughs> I probably wouldn't say that because I like don't want them to ask like what's your Instagram or what's your blog? <laughs> <laughs> like I just don't I don't I like I don't want to go there. Um I like to fly under the radar when I go places. So um I won't usually say anything like that, but I'll I'll say, hey, like my husband and I love like hiking and we want to do like a really pretty sunset hike. Um to see this mountain range or like whatever it is like what would you recommend or if I have a photo maybe that I've seen online that I just no matter what I did with my research google earth maps all the things I just couldn't find where it was Mm. that's a really good thing to ask someone who's local or a ranger or something like that like hey do you recognize this spot do you know if Mm. this is a local hike and you know, at least half of the time they'll they'll know where it is. Sometimes rangers act dumb, <laughs> and they'll if it's like somewhere they don't want you to go because of like it might be off trail or something like that. Mm. They'll be like, "No, I've never seen that before," and you're like, "Yes, you have." <laughs> um, but for the most part, um, people will give you their their best answers. How do you stay
0: healthy when you travel? Like, do you have any secrets to kind of, like I always bring green powder with me and it just makes me feel like I've gotten some greens in, even if that's all the greens I've gotten in. How do you, how do you approach that?
1: It does depend on the trip. I find when I'm taking trips that I'm staying in Airbnbs or hotels, I just in general am better at sticking to a routine and, and being healthier. I do find it a little harder when, Camping or taking road trips, and I don't have, you know, that kind of normal space to like work out or do something like that. But one thing I do do every single trip is I bring like my vitamins or supplements along. And, and like you said, that helps me feel like I've like done something. And then I also am pretty religious about like doing my skincare routine morning and night. It just like, One, I have to do it because I have like skin that is um, problematic, but also it just helps me have that little bit of self-care time Mm. and like I have taken some steps that day to do something for my body that, you know, is nice and I haven't just like put it through the ring out all day traveling. <laughs> I do think having like little
0: bits of routine, whatever they are, like I try to meditate at the same time, even if I'm traveling um, or you have your skincare, I should be better at skincare. Some, someday I'm going to get good at it and I'm going to be real <laughs> proud of myself. Um, but I do think having those little bits of routine go a really long way. Or I, when I'm traveling, I try to do not more than one meal out a day so that I'll have like breakfast and lunch at the hotel and my like oatmeal in the hotel room or at an Airbnb because I just feel like when I'm doing three meals out a day, one, it's the best way to get bored of whoever you're traveling with. Like even Zach, I love him so much, but having to sit across from him at a restaurant for like three hours a day at yeah. like one hour each at breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I'm just like, I don't have anything to talk to you about anymore. Um, yeah. And then <laughs> two, you just feel gross so fast. So I feel like if you can just do one meal out and enjoy the culture uh it really 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 helps
1: yeah and everyone is different obviously with how they with how they eat and their meals and all that sort of stuff but um one thing I do try and keep kind of consistent when I travel is at home I personally feel really good when I intermittent fast. Mm-hmm. Um, I often don't eat like a proper meal until around lunchtime. And it just makes me feel so good. And when I travel, if like you said, I'm finding myself eating three meals a day, like three heavy meals out at restaurants or whatever it is, literally after a couple of days, I just feel crap. Um, and I have to okay, I either stop eating so much out or I revert back to that, um, okay, I'm just going to eat two main meals, you know, yep. and snacks. I, I don't like Calorie myself. restrict, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm like an intuitive eater. But I find, like you said, if I'm eating three meals out a day and it's just making me feel gross, I have to sit back and evaluate, mm, should I like go back to my kind of normal schedule that I have at home or what kind of food can I make? On, on the go that I don't feel so icky. But eating is definitely the hardest thing when you travel, if you're trying to stay healthy or maintain some sort of schedule. I feel like it requires a little bit of planning ahead and, and some thought. Well, and
0: it's hard because you want to try. Like when I was in Santa Fe last month, I got more restaurant recommendations from people that I could go to, and I was there for a month. So it's like it's hard because you want to engage with the local culture, but also it's a lot to engage with. And I, and I think the FOMO of that can be even, even tricky to navigate. For sure. What have you learned about yourself doing all of this traveling and adventures or how have you grown through it?
1: Yeah. Good question. I, I think in a lot of ways the whole outdoor thing and traveling um, and having to be more independent and, trusting myself to, you know, not screw up, definitely given me more confidence. And that confidence has, um, gone into other aspects of my life, whether it be caring less about how I look like, or confidence in my business, like Mm. doing things like this podcast. I was like, so bad at interviews and I, I'm not, not saying that I'm like really good at it now or anything, but I was so bad at doing stuff like this, um, a couple of years ago, and I think um, definitely just having more confidence doing things outdoors and traveling particularly solo stuff, mm-hmm. I think has like proven to me that that I am more capable and stronger and smarter and all those things than i than I give myself credit for, and I think we can all we can all definitely um, learn something from that for sure. Um, what else? I think definitely something I've learned from traveling and being out in nature is to not take it for granted and for those moments that like I definitely have long periods of time where I just don't get a chance to do things like that particularly you know I think we can all relate a bit to the last 12 months or, or 18 months with the pandemic and lockdowns depending on where you are around the world I Hundred percent very much missed going outdoors and Mm -hmm. recreating and traveling and these these last um, 12 months have opened my eyes up to the fact that I actually need that in my life. Mm-hmm. It's actually really important to me so that when I am out doing these things, I kind of as much as possible bring it back to that gratitude and like, wow, I'm so damn lucky getting to do this stuff, you know? Yeah. And whereas I feel like beforehand maybe – Maybe I was taking that stuff a little bit too much for granted or not realizing just how privileged I was to be able to do those things. And yeah, now these days I'm just like, wow, I'm like so thankful to be outdoors or like I'm actually going to um, Iceland next week, which is huge because like I'm vaccinated now and I can travel safely, you know, depending on the destination and that is just, I'm pinching myself that I can get back to that sort of normality again. Have you been to Iceland? Yeah, this is actually my fourth visit. It's one of my favorite countries in the world.
0: It's me too, 100%. I think How it's the, the combination of like hiking and hot springs I think is unbeatable although I really don't like the food sorry Icelandic yeah
1: people. I no, I agree with you and the thing about and and going back to that staying healthy when traveling thing yeah I'm already thinking about okay what stuff can I take with me because one Iceland is super expensive yeah and two they don't eat super healthy there they eat a lot of junk food like all the roadside
0: places just have like hot dogs and mm-hmm. snacks, especially if you're getting out of Reiki. Are you doing the ring road?
1: Yeah, we're going to be going all sorts of places. And yeah, from experience, from previous trips, I agree. Like it's it's mostly the gas station food is very unhealthy. And then even when, when you're in the city, um, there are obviously better cafes and restaurant options, but it's still like a lot of burger places and a lot of fast food and also the food's quite heavy in Iceland it's like a lot of um, different kinds of meat and seafood and well, not a lot of vegetables going on yeah so um, and the veggies are expensive in the grocery stores so yeah so what are you bringing I think I haven't fully decided yet but I think um, I'm definitely going to bring some snacks like just some pre-packaged not not anything perishable but just some like healthier snack options some like protein bars and stuff like that so that if I just can't find anything to eat I have something and then not that this is like really a healthy option but I think we're gonna also bring some like camping dehydrated meals Mm -hmm. that if we find ourselves out in the middle of nowhere and maybe the grocery store just has like a thing of lettuce and, like, a tomato that we can buy. We can sort of, like, pair it with our dehydrated burrito mix and some wraps and and kind of make some sort of dinner. It's like a backup plan that if we find ourselves somewhere where the restaurant's, like, $300, you know, for us to eat there, that we're like, okay, we're not going to do that.
0: Do you do anything to make sure you can keep pooping
1: while you're, like, eating this weird food? Like, magnesium yeah. or... I, yeah, I take magnesium every day. Um, so that definitely probably helps, but I also, um, I have just like a pretty good gut these days because I, I used to have problems with my digestion and I did years and years and years of like making my own kombucha and Mm. um, kefir and probiotics and like sauerkraut and all the things. And I'm very thankful. and very lucky these days that, My digestion is like the best it's ever been. So I actually find that I do pretty well when traveling, when it comes to like staying regular and feeling like good in my digestion, whereas that was definitely not the case when I was traveling. The first time I went to Iceland, I remember feeling just rotten because it's like, as we said, it's like so hard to get healthy food there. And if you have any kind of digestion problems, it's definitely amplified in a place like that.
0: Yeah. I love the idea that like having good digestion when you're traveling should actually mean having good digestion all the time, like working on your gut all the time. And then you can reap the benefits of that when you take a trip.
1: Oh, for sure. Definitely. And I, like last time I went to Italy was also a world of difference compared to the first time I went to Italy. Last time I was eating the pastas and the bread and the cheeses and all the things, and you know, like those things, still make me feel a bit black because they're like super heavy. But, um, but I could do that and not feel horrible, and I could enjoy it and like really, um, experience that part of the culture. Whereas, like when my gut was not in a good place, yeah, I the first time I went to Italy, I I was eating the food, but then I was regretting it highly later. <laughs> was there
0: anything like? Just really quick, anything really big you did to heal your gut in that time?
1: Yeah, so the main things I did actually was I also eliminated a lot of foods that until my gut was healed were like very very triggering to my gut. So I didn't eat a lot of um like legumes. I cut out most dairy I can't it was like 7 years ago now. I can't remember fully like what I cut out, but it was like quite restrictive because I just had to cut those things out to feel better. And then the thing I think that made the biggest difference that actually healed my gut was stuff like um magnesium and uh, and some other supplements I was working with a naturopath, but also I like literally um uh, made my own big things of kombucha, mm. kefir, I think that's how you say it. Um and sauerkraut and stuff like it was kind of gross honestly like eating all that stuff with every single meal but I would wake up in the morning and I'd have my like glass of kombucha like before work and I would incorporate as many probiotics as possible and I think it probably took maybe like a year or two years and after that my gut was like premium condition (laughs) And then you could go
0: back to reincorporating all of those foods.
1: Yeah, I'm not restrictive at all now with what I eat. I, I'm, I, you know, I try and eat healthy, but I, I'm pescatarian. I, I don't eat meat, but that's been the case since I was like a young child. But I eat anything. So, and I, I don't. There are certain days, obviously, that I'm like, oh man, I'm, I'm bloated. But you know, we're women, hormones, it happens. Um, and certain things still like. Don't make me feel as good, but I can eat it without waking up in the middle of the night and vomiting. Or like, I I was in a bad way before I healed my gut, and I think, I think uh, also like from a mental health perspective. I 100% believe in that connection between gut and brain because I think back on when I had really bad gut health and I it definitely affected like my day-to-day happiness mm. and like while I was traveling and things like that feeling good and feeling happy and in the moment and all those sorts of stuff whereas now obviously eating is something like any human, I have to think about what I put in my body, but I'm not so hyper-focused on mm. it. And I don't have to think about, you know, feeling crappy so often. And overall for your mental health, that is just ah so good.
0: Amazing. Well, if people wanted to follow your journey, see some Iceland pics, I'm excited for <laughs> that content for sure. Where can we find you on the internet?
1: Yeah, so my Instagram, actually all my socials are Renee Roaming, uh, just, just as is Renee Roaming on TikTok, it's renee.roaming. And then my blog, my travel blog is renee.roaming.com. Um, and then if you wanted to check out my book, Roaming America, um, it's about our trip to all the national parks that is available anywhere that you can buy books. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking
0: all the time. I definitely use your blog all the time. I like when we went to Death Valley, I was like, Renee Robey, Death Valley. (laughs) And you have really amazing travel guides. And also, I want to give you a quick shout out for something that you do that I think a lot of travel sites don't do, which is you acknowledge the heritage and the history of the land. And I thought that that was a really beautiful way to appreciate where the land has come from. And I haven't seen that on other travel sites before.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely not perfect at that. It's something that I I do need to go back on older blog posts and, and it, do better at that, but it is I appreciate you acknowledging that. Yeah, I am. I am trying to do better and I think it's something that we should all try and be better about for sure. Great completely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to join
0: me today. Yay, thank you for having me. I hope you loved this episode with Renee. I hope it really inspired you to get outside and to go and have wonderful, beautiful adventures. Please send me your pics if you do. Also, don't forget to tell me if you are more interested in a wellness around the world series, if you're interested in summer adventure anything, both. I don't know. Let me know. Let me know who you want to see on the podcast in future episodes in either of those series or something different entirely. And if you love this episode, I would, as always, so appreciate a quick rating or review on your podcast app of choice. It makes a huge difference in helping other people find the pod. Honestly, though, the biggest difference you can make in helping people find the pod is to share it with the people you love who you know will love this type of content. I so appreciate you. I love spending this time together and I hope you have a beautiful day. I'll see you on the next episode of the Healthier Together podcast. If you have dry skin, this is going to be your holy grail. I've love, love, loved the Osea and Daria Algae Body Butter for years. It is so rich and creamy and lush, but it sinks right into your skin and it makes your entire body feel moisturized and not greasy at all. I actually do not understand how it's so not greasy and yet so, so hydrating. As fall approaches, I'm leaning into mini spa energy. These micro relaxing moments you can insert throughout your day. Because peppering your day with tiny bits of calm can have huge impacts on overall cortisol levels, on your anxiety, even how you sleep at night, and the smell of the body butter. Holy cow, it is pure spa energy. You get that like laying on the massage table, melting energy. It is phenomenal. I've gone through at least four tubs of this personally, and that is saying something because it lasts a long ass time. A little bit goes a very long way. I also always keep extras on hand to give out as gifts. It uses ingredients that you would normally see in face care products like seaweed, ceramides, glycerin, which I am obsessed with for hydration and think is so underrated, amino acids, even a skin-identical moisture complex. Also, here is a little tip. If you want to amp up its hydrating power even more, put it on damp skin right after the shower to really lock in all of that moisture and hydration. Like all Osea products, it's formulated with real seaweed to take advantage of its nutrient-rich benefits like deep moisturization. It's also vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified. Osea has actually been making seaweed-infused products that are safe for your skin and the planet for over 27 years. And I personally absolutely love how everything is ethically tested and sourced. For clean body care that gives you skincare-level results, you've got to try Osea. And right now we have a special discount just for our listeners. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with promo code LizMoody at oseamalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order, and orders over $60 get free shipping. While you're there, get the body butter, of course, but I'm also obsessed with the Vegas Nerve Oil and Pillow Mist, both of which help so much with my anxiety. I love rubbing the oil on my hands and inhaling deeply before I meditate to make it feel more intentional and calming and grounding. You are going to want it all. Go to OSEAMalibu.com, promo code Moody.